0: You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. So, we're supposed to talk about really big tricks. So, there's a, there's a very old true story of mine that, um, regrettably, I couldn't find when I was preparing. So, I may not have all of the details exactly perfect because it's, gee, I don't know, it's maybe 15 years ago. But it's a story... Probably Penn would like if he doesn't know it. And it is a story about a big trick. So, and this is, as Dave usually says when he's about to tell you something that's not true, this is a true story. Um, everybody's got tells, you know. Um, so, uh, I was getting dressed to come and do a speaking gig. I'm in my hotel room. I got the TV on. And um, it was on CNN which CNN used to be a news network, they used to cover all sorts of things. You know, Now they, they do the Malaysian plane crash for six weeks and then they do Baltimore burning for six weeks. They only do one news story at a time now. So, uh, but they used to cover all sorts of news stories. And so this particular morning news story was about an incident that occurred at a classic European three-ring circus. And the star attraction, the thing that surprised everybody and got everybody excited at this circus was a guy called Franz the Midget. And what they did with Franz, it's a three-ring circus, and they would put him in the cannon at the far end, the ring way over there, and they would shoot him out of the cannon, because he's a little midget, you know, so they would shoot him out of the cannon like a bowling ball, and we we used to have a show on TV in Cleveland, honest to God, called Midget Bowling. <laughs> I swear to God, it was local TV. It was on after Gilardi on Friday nights, and they actually rolled midgets down a bowling alley. Um, <laughs> I, I, just imagine today, I mean, everybody would be in jail. And, anyway, <laughs> so they would, God, I haven't thought of that in years, Ron. I, so, so they would, they would shoot Little Franz the midget out of a cannon all the way over there, and he would sail over the center ring, where the lions were, and he would land over on a trampoline at that one. And I mean, it was yeah, it was a great bit, you know. It was obviously supposed to be done as a magic trick, but uh, uh, these guys actually shot him out of the damn cannon. Um, uh, apparently, nobody had ever seen. A magician work. So uh, this news story was about this going horribly wrong. And on the night before, they shot Franz out of the cannon. And something failed. And he came down in the center ring at, you know, 900 miles an hour, right into a lion's mouth. The lion is used to being thrown meat. And and so the lion ate him, swallowed him. They rushed the lion out, you know, into the back and, of course, killed him and cut him open trying to save Franz. But Franz died in the belly of the beast. So here's what I'm thinking as I'm hearing this. I'm thinking if you own the circus, because my sympathies are always with the business owner, you know, the, (laughs) uh, well, I mean, you know let's be honest, there's a lot of midgets. And, <laughs> and, 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 be, and, and, being, and being shot out of a cannon really does not require an enormous amount of talent. It just requires you to be a really small midget who can roll yourself up in a ball. That's you know. so, so my immediate thought is sympathy for the poor circus owner. Because imagine this audience. This is going to be the greatest word of mouth advertising ever. Oh, come on now, word of mouth. He was shot into the mouth of a lion. You know, it's morning. You should be like sharp, you know. This is going to be the best word of mouth advertising this circus has ever had. Because everybody thinks this was an act, you know. So they're running. You know the next day they're telling everybody, you got to go to the circus. You got to see this. They tell us they're going to shoot him up, but they really, they shoot this little midget right into the mouth of a lion, and he disappears. It's the coolest thing we've ever seen. you got to go. And this owner has like eight hours to either round up a bunch of midgets so he can use one every night, or, or to figure out how he's going to do this lion trick, because people are going to be really annoyed if they come now and see the original trick. Because they want to see him going right into the mouth of the lion. So I came down sort of feeling sympathetic and sad about the poor circus owner, not about the midget. And as I told that to that particular audience, I got an even worse reaction than you did when I talked about the dispensable midgets and the poor business owner. So uh, some stuff, you know, you just shouldn't do, but I can't help myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The other day I was speaking, and many of you see one of the cars I have is that Lincoln Continental town car convertible, 63 with the suicide doors. And I said, which is true, it's the model of the car that uh, you see at the start of the Entourage show or if you've, that everybody gets out of at the start of the Entourage show. And they're making an Entourage movie, so it's at the start of the movie, too, where everybody gets out of the car. Or if you've never seen Entourage, it's the model of the car that JFK did not get out of. And... It, it, too soon? All right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I really am at the point where I'm just doing crap to amuse myself. <laughs> uh, it's candidly not a good thing. Um, so, we're gonna during the total time we're together, um, if you come back, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through four bags of big tricks, where really. Uh, a lot of the most meaningful work I do with my clients occurs. Let's see. You can't see all four. I'm not sure. There, but there we go. Um, um, ignore the tape. Go to the top of the machine. Damn. Um, however, this works a lot better than that mess Dave was dealing with. Um, uh, so we're, we have four bags of big tricks. And most of the work I do with clients is in one of these. Four bags. The work I do that yields the best results is in one of these four bags. So I have some stuff from client work to show you. I have some non client work stuff to show you. But these are the four areas that we are going to deal in the most. I had uh, yesterday, I had a a very, uh, I had a group of exceptionally successful large direct marketing business owners in a mastermind meeting. And it was interesting how quickly we wound up in this first bag talking about price. Um, And people mess up price for a variety of reasons that we're going to talk about. People leave money on the table. Uh, Really, really smart people. I mean, yesterday I was with really, 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 really smart people. Uh, I think three of them are are here, but the really, really smart ones are not. But but I mean, we, we were in a room with some really smart people. But still, we were very quickly into the price bag of tricks. Because there were price things they were missing. And they were leaving, in one case, probably $2 million, million on the table every year. Just there for the asking. Purely because of price mistakes. So this morning we're going to deal with that bag of tricks. We're going to talk about money. And I did want to mention, when we start to talk about money, um, I won't, I'm warm. I don't know if you're warm, but I'm warm. So. Um, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many in here have a seven-figure-a-year in income. Um, but uh, what is interesting is is that 100 years ago, there were three people in the United States. Just three. A very small club making a million dollars a year. It's grown, of course, decade by decade, generation by generation, Um, in 2012, the last year that I found any data for, uh, we're up in the United States to 2.5 million people who are, and Elizabeth Warren knows every one of them by name, by the way. Um, um, uh, Right at the top of that list are the Clintons. (laughs) Um, Although earn might be the wrong word, but so there are people making large incomes and a growing number of them and what I would postulate to you about almost all of them is that it has as much to do with how they think about their compensation as the mechanics of what they deliver to get their compensation because often the spread between the deliverables is nowhere near the spread of the income. So I was asked yesterday at the meeting about a particular copywriting project and what it would cost. And I said, the fee'd be about $125,000 and 3% of the gross revenues for as long as you use the work product. And I said it like I just said it to you, that I kid Ben Glass all the time. I don't know if Ben is here this year, but. Um, Ben's got a big personal injury law practice and all the P.I. attorneys. Are there any P.I. attorneys in, in here? Anybody? wants to admit it? Oh, yeah, you. Yeah. So, so he actually will verify this. There's, actually, their last year of law school has nothing to do with law. They come into a classroom every day. They get in front of video cameras and mirrors, and they practice so that when somebody comes in their office dragging a stumpy leg... Bleeding, scarred, horribly disfigured, and tells them the story about their entire family being stuck on a train track when the car stalled because the ignition key problem with GM, and some of them are dead and some of them are injured, and he's really the one in the best shape. The lawyer has practiced for an entire year in law school to keep a straight funeral director kind of face and be kind and compassionate, and then he excuses himself to go to the restroom and runs in and into the soundproof restroom he has in his office and jumps up and down and screams wildly and goes kaching. But you, but you can't, yeah, you, know, you, you can't really do that in front of the horribly disfigured, limping clients. So, so they they spend a year mastering that skill, and and when you you know when you quote in my case one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to write some copy, you need the same sort of you know, face on that, and, and, and it doesn't happen automatically. You know, I, years ago I used to stutter when I did that. I don't do that now. Um, but uh, uh, what I didn't say to him for somewhat obvious reasons is there's a whole bunch of people. So in every industry, in every field, including the one you're in, there's this big income disparity for the same deliverable. Big, 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 big. There's a whole bunch of people who do that same project for him for dime on the dollar. 12 5 No royalty. There's some people who do the job for a penny on the dollar. 12 50 No royalty. There's a bunch of pretty good people who do the job for him for half, a fourth, and be really happy to get it. Am I 100 times better? 10 times better? four times better? Certainly not a hundred times better. Maybe not ten, but I'm pricier. And it has more to do with how I think about my compensation than it has to do with the deliverable itself. In this particular instance, the way most copywriters think about their deliverables is they think about it as pages or hours. We had somebody in a room yesterday who is still well, he's here, by the way. So he, he was one of the less smart, smart ones in the room. Uh, I won't identify him, but he's here. Uh, and, and, and so he's doing something that makes his client an enormous amount of money, and he's thinking about it as his day rate. Okay? So most writers think about it as the deliverable. Oh, okay, it's a four-page letter. That's so much a page. And it's or as I think about it, that I'm creating what I call a marketing asset for somebody. And so it's like building them a building uh, or, or building them a piece of proprietary equipment. It's marketing assets. So it's how you think about your compensation that has as much to do with the compensation as the deliverable itself. Because, of course, how you think about your compensation then controls how you present your compensation to somebody else, which has enormous control. So price in fee or price of product or price of service. It uh, has a great deal to do, obviously, with how much money you make. And Oh, there you are. Um, uh, 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 there's the less smart of the smart guys right here in the front row. Um, so it, it, here's price. Ha, price has two big ramifications, two big aspects to it uh, that, that you want to think a lot about. Price relates to profit. And profit relates to power. So, I'll give you a little piece of inside baseball. Something that stunned me. Um, So, I was recently at a a speaking engagement, and before speaking, I was at a very small group lunch with Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. You all watch Shark Tank? I hope. So... I now don't think he's as smart as I thought he was before I went to the launch. So so here's what he revealed. Of all the deals that get done on Shark Tank, that actually get done, which is a fraction of what you see, right? and the businesses that actually get launched. He said, and I'm quoting verbatim, that none of those companies could be profitable were it not for them getting their customers virtually for free and erasing customer acquisition cost because of being promoted on Shark Tank and all the free publicity they got because they're a Shark Tank company that they would not get if they weren't a Shark Tank company. Okay, now that's the revealed fact, right? He then went on to turn it into a principle Which was, no business is any good if it has any significant customer acquisition cost. The only good business on earth has an erased customer acquisition cost. This is why I don't think he's as smart as I thought he was before I walked in the room. Because, A, he's taken an incidental fact and turned it into a principle, which is never a really good idea anyway. But secondly... He has ruled out 90% of the most successful businesses on the planet as anything we should ever invest in because very few companies have no customer acquisition cost. In fact, now it is one great idea when you can erase customer acquisition cost, perhaps through joint ventures and strategic alliances or host parasite, for example, uh, 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 which really... Having a business on Shark Tank is, in a way, a parasite to host relationship. That's a wonderful thing. However, it's very restrictive. It's very limiting. It tends to cause you to move very slow. Hence, only one of all the businesses that they have done a deal in has broken the $4 million a year mark. These are all really small businesses because they're being restricted to growing only in ways that have no customer acquisition cost. Most of what I do for my clients is the exact opposite. We figure out how to spend more than anybody else on earth in the category would spend to get a customer and make that turn out profitable. Because what you will spend to acquire a customer is your source of power in the marketplace. It allows you to control your own destiny, not be a parasite of a host, etc. Et, et, et Therefore, profit is really critical because it enables you to spend more to acquire customers. That's a closed loop. So yesterday, for example, we quickly found a way for one person in a room to add $2,000 to the profit of every transaction that he does, which in a year equates to $400,000 now if he's smart he won't scoop the $400,000 off and go spend it on wine, women, and song he will use it to increase the amount he is willing to spend to get a customer because he will be buying power in the marketplace so price tells us how powerful we are going to be based on how profitable we are going to be So let's talk about big tricks in the area of price. So the first big trick has to do with bravery or cowardice. And it simply has to do with raising prices, selling at prices or fees higher than your peers, comparables, competitors, just demanding more from The marketplace, I find most people are price cowards. If you want to see a business run by people who are not price cowards, you go and you pay extremely close attention to Disney. There is no timidity about price there at all. So in Anaheim at Disneyland, they recently had that measles Scandal. So one of Iger's first reactions to the measles scandal was they raised all the admission prices again. <laughs> I assume the reasoning was park attendance is going to drop a little for some period of time because of this measles thing. So let's just charge everybody who does come more to make up the difference. No cowardice whatsoever. The news every day is about go to Disney, get measles, and die. What (laughs) shall we do? (laughs) Now, what many business CEOs would do, you can watch them engage in this kind of behavior, is they would run around on TV on the apology tour. They would announce they were closing the place for three days and bringing in some whiz-bang crew of scientists to delouse and bleach and clean the whole thing, they, they would do anything but, screw it, let's just raise our prices and make up for the people who don't count. This would hardly ever occur to anybody except the guys running Disney. Because I, my perception of them is, if you wake Iger up out of a dead sleep and poke him, he probably sits up in bed and says, let's raise prices. Because that, that, that's like the first thing Disney does with everything, every day, is raise prices. Right? No cowardice there at all. Most people are simply price cowards. We had a smart guy in the room yesterday, wealth advisor. Um, money under management guy. How many financial advisor type folks do we have in the room? Oh, come on. Raise your hands so high enough I can see you. Don't be ashamed of this. You're not attorneys, are you? <laughs> I mean, okay. This is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, um, the way you manage the money might be something to be ashamed of, but being one is nothing to be ashamed of. So, so this guy charges a $50,000 to $75,000 fee to do the plan to then move the money around. Here's what most financial advisors charge to do the plan. Zip. Their fee is zero. They view that as part of the sales process, not as a deliverable for which a fee should be charged. And the ones who do charge fees, their average charge is about $4,000. Look at the disparity. Do you really think his plan is that much better? No, 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 no. He just is braver. That's all. So the first thing about price you got to do is you got to fix your thinking and remove all your inner game obstacles about price. So here I sit in consulting days with people who have paid $19,000 to be there for a day uh, and have endured the pain of coming to Cleveland in order to do it. Um, which, by the way, a bunch of jobs have been created in Cleveland this week in printing plants, Pete. Pete, the printer's back there. In in, in printing plants because our bumper sticker used to be at least we're not Buffalo and, and they're changing it to at least we're not Baltimore. So they're printing 50,000 bumper stickers today. Um, so here, fix your thinking. Here they sit in a room with me. They've paid $19,000. They've come to Cleveland. They're relatively sophisticated business people and At some point during the day, without them really realizing this is the conversation we're having, I'm having a conversation with them about the crap in their head about price or fee. Not about the competitive environment, not about the presentation of it, not about any of that, but instead about what's in their head. So here's the crap that's in people's head about price. Halbert, by the way, used to talk about he had, he had the carbonized shit theory um, I said to Vicky in the back, I always have these great business ideas, so one of my great business ideas that I had today is because we were talking about Twitter I'm starting a site called Shitter and, <laughs> and every one of the little communications is called a shit instead of a tweet laughter um, uh, so, so there will re- be no mystery about who's using this particular site and what it is that they're doing. So the first thing that gets in people's way is what I call the tyranny of the normal and customary. So a lot of business people don't know much, but they know what the price norms are in their industry or field or product category or service category. They can tell you that pretty quick. So they are very familiar with and sensitive to what everybody else charges and how they price. Because price is normally done by some kind of formula. A multiple of hard goods plus this times that. Uh, Everybody's got some kind of formula. Many industries have software that do pricing for you by formula. That's it's not the worst thing you could own, but it's close to the worst thing you could own. Because it's just terrorizing you. It's enforcing price norms. How does something become a pricing norm? The overwhelming majority of people do it. And when the overwhelming majority of people are doing anything, it's a safe bet, it's stupid. But people are tyrannized by this. Here's the formula. Here's how our industry prices. Here's how we charge. Here's what we do for free. Here's what we don't do for free. So when I got any advertising business, the norm still is for agencies. It's just like his financial plan that I described to you. So the norm is you do... You've probably seen it on Mad Men. Hasn't changed since 1950s, by the way. A company decides they're going to change agencies. They announce it. A bunch of agencies prepare suggested ad campaigns for free. And they come and they present it all for free. Ten agencies do this. They all do it for free. Theoretically, at the end, the company hires them. In about a third of the cases, by the way, they don't. They were planning on keeping the agency head they had all along. It was just a great way to see a load of great ideas. Let's have everybody work for us for free. Maybe we'll want to use some of it. Best Buy announced yesterday. They're headquartered here, by the way. Uh, bad news for this city because, you know, their days are numbered. But Best Buy announced yesterday that they were changing their approach to all this and we're no longer going to have an agency of record and we're going to use different agencies for different projects and we're going to do things in-house. But the norm is still these dog and pony shows where everybody develops. So When I had Weight Watchers as a client, I was at a Weight Watchers meeting uh, in Long Island, their headquarters, with... Um, with their agency at the time, Batten, Barton, Durston, and Stupid from New York, and two agencies that were vying to get the business, and me. And I'm not sure exactly how it came out, uh, but it caused me, sort of like Dave's slap story, it caused me to be accosted by an angry ad agency person in the men's room, um, because it came out that they were all there doing these free dog and pony shows and I had been paid a fee to be there because I don't go anywhere without getting a fee. And this aggravated all of them. They couldn't really even grasp how this could be. Right? The person who was most violently angry uh, who had the conversation with me in the, in the men's room Uh, just was incensed that anybody would do this in the advertising business, that it was unethical and unprofessional. And my only answer was, yeah, but I've got $10,000 and you have nothing. (laughs) So it seems to me, you know, so there's this tyranny of norm that really affects how people think about their compensation and what their compensation can be, should be, how it should be structured. The second thing is hypersensitivity to their peers. So peer criticism will often affect people in the way that they price. The third thing is thinking people foolish for how they determine value, which we're going to talk a lot about that because it's not our definition of value that matters, it's their definition of value and tied to that is being critical of how people spend their money. What, they pay, what they're willing to pay for certain things, how they spend their money, how they allocate money, how the marketplace determines where money goes. So I want you to think about something for just a second. I'm going to show you three photographs and I want you just in your mind to see if you can manage to identify who this person is. So here's one. Uh, here's another. And unfortunately, I don't have one from the back. And here's, a, here's another. Uh, so now, is there anybody in the room who does not know who this is? One. Anybody else? Two. I got two. I'm looking for three. I got three over here. Okay? And, 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 and the three of you raised your hands. Are you in the United States, by the way, or are you from somewhere else? No, U.S. US. Yeah. U.S.? Are you poor? No. no. <laughs> uh, do you have a television set? Yeah. Well, I'm amazed, but you should be very proud. Okay? <laughs> we should all salute you. All okay? right. So everybody else knows who this is. It's Kim Kardashian, for your information. Okay? Again, maybe if I had a picture from the back, maybe. Um, so if you don't know the Kardashians, Les Bruce, um, well, he now has his own deal. Um, it. Uh, uh, but the rest of the Kardashians just signed a three-year contract extension with the e-network for $100 million. All right. now, now, I want you to say the number again. Think, think about the number again. $100 million. Now, to be fair, there's a handful of them. So they're dividing up the money. But, but still, $100 million. All right. Now, most people react exactly like somebody just said crazy and you groaned. Okay? And that's crap in your way. All right. See, it's not crazy at all. all right. The marketplace is perfectly sane. It has its own reasons. Right. But when you disapprove of how the marketplace values things, you get in your own way. And some people, this is so carbonized, they have a rough time getting around it. So people disapprove of the way money behaves. If you disapprove of the way money behaves, you are going to have a rough time with money. So we have all these shoulds, right? Money should go to charities feeding the poor, not strip clubs. It should go to the person with the best credentials, the longest alphabet soup, Series of designations after their name. It should go to the person providing the best service. All right? It should go to somebody with talent, not the Kardashians. And when we impose our shoulds, we don't understand mind as a, money has a mind of its own and it moves about as it damn well pleases. Its behavior is pretty predictable because it does it again and again and again and again and again for the same reasons. And what's most important is you have to view your job as getting in sync in alignment with why money goes to people and places. Not being disapproving of it. Not critically judging it. Getting in align with it. This does not mean, for example, that to align yourself with the reasons why $100 million is moving to the Kardashians that you need to go get butt implants. That's actually not the secret. There are real reasons. And they are useful to you. So now, narrowing it back to price, when you start to think about price or fee depending on which business you are in, You have to think about this issue of why people pay X or Y or Z for fundamentally the same deliverable in whatever field of endeavor you are in, but some people pay a lot and some people are only willing to pay a little. Some people get large fees, some people get small fees. The price in almost every category of good or service is widely elastic. But of course most people are down here, only a few people are up here. You want to be up there. There is an insidious cancer that comes with poor thinking about price. Number one, it becomes a habit. So when you engage in it, it. sets in, and it almost becomes an addiction. How many of you employ salespeople? Somebody who works for you, either on the phone or in the field. And what happens if you let them make a discount decision on their own? They do it every time. She's exactly right, right. As soon as you let them have that discretion once... They want it every time, and they discount and discount and discount and discount. It becomes an addiction <coughs> I, um, I was at Nordstrom 's the other day since i don 't fly commercial anymore. the only place in my area to get a shoe shine left is the Nordstrom store at the mall there 's a shoe shine stand um, so I actually go just to get a shoe shine but um, but so I'm in the men's department and over comes the clerk, now this is at Nordstrom's right? and I'm looking at these shirts and there's not one in my size so we have a little conversation and she explains they're all 36 inch sleeves and now they fix them for you uh, so they have less inventory which seems insane to me but that, but that, that's not the point and but The rest of what she says after that explanation is, but you know, these are the most expensive shirts we have. And that's only because they have the Ethan name on them. We actually over here have shirts that are virtually the same at half the price. Wouldn't you rather have one of those? She's working for Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's is trying to maximize their profits. She is defaulting to discount on anything. Anything. Not solve the problem of the fact that I want shirts right now and they're going to have to be tailored. Which, by the way, just get me the tailor. I'll flip my $100, bucks. i will go have lunch. When I come back, I'll have my shirts. All right. In here or out? Just oh, just for my own curiosity. Um, I usually make adults cry. Um, um, so, so it becomes addictive, okay? When you take your profit away by bad price strategy, you lose your ability to hire really great people and pay them well. You definitely lose your ability to deliver great service. You start to make compromises. In the extras, the added value, etc. as I said before, it puts you at a advertising, marketing and selling disadvantage. Now this is very important. Most people do not understand that this is the way price and profit works. Okay? The advantage of being cheap, cheaper and cheapest. Is a very hard advantage to protect. So Walmart, uh, as I predicted, Walmart is having some problems. And guess who's taking market share from Walmart? No, 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 no. You're wrong. Dollar stores. Dollar stores they actually have cheaper stuff than Walmart. Now, some of it has, you know, is labeled in Chinese and, you know, it's got the third expiration date on the can of peas. And the, but um, those, by the way, are only expiration suggestions in case you didn't know it. They're not re- so, but they're actually cheaper than Walmart and Walmart is losing market share to dollar stores. Very hard to protect. Cheaper or cheapest. Very hard. Nobody's been able to do it permanently. Everybody thinks Walmart's permanent. People thought Kmart was permanent too. Last legs. Right? And there were ones before them who don't even exist anymore that people once thought were permanent. The disadvantage is you're crippled in what you can spend to get a customer and to wow a customer. And that disadvantage is enormous. And then last, it's really harder to create equity. So what governs price elasticity? How do you get to be more elastic? One, who's doing the selling? So who you are and who you are perceived to be has much more to do with price or fee than does deliverable. Penn gets a lot more. If Dave was still doing magic shows, Penn is much higher paid to do a magic show than is Dave to do a magic show. Is Penn better? Yes. (laughs) Is he? Well, I mean... You just saw the PowerPoints thing. Um, uh, But is he as better as is the fee differential? No. And ultimately, it's the same trick. So who is doing the selling is critically important. So you have to figure out who your market, your clientele, your audience thinks is most important, most influential, most powerful, most desirable. If we can get this person, we want this person by type, by description. You have to figure that out and then you have to make yourself that person who is buying. Affects price enormously. Who's buying Different people buy at different price and fee levels just because of who they are. So you may not know this little retail fact. You can take advantage of it if you're budget conscious. In most market areas, I'm sure here, I know Cleveland, I know Phoenix, the same retailer, let's take the gap, right? The Gap may have stores in five different malls. So in the Phoenix area, there's a Gap somewhere in Scottsdale, which is kind of a richety rich area. There's a Gap over in Glendale, which is kind of a not so richety rich area. There's a Gap in South Phoenix, which is kind of a poor, poor, poor area at that mall. There's Gaps all over the place. They price the same merchandise different depending on where their store is. Same sweater. Different price, depending on which mall it's at. Because of who is buying. Did you read the business section of this paper yesterday? Al Franken, who is a senator and was a comedian. I would argue perhaps still a comedian and a senator, but so... Franken is screaming for legislation that will stop a practice in the airline industry that allows them to charge different people different amounts of money for the same seat on the same flight purely based on who they are. In fact, it revealed that the airlines, one of the pieces of data they are using to price to you is the zip code of your residence. If you pay with a black card or a platinum card, they are charging you more than if you play, pay with an ordinary visa. It's called in the industry personalized pricing. Because if you live in a ritzy zip code, you'll pay more to get from point A to B than if you live in a not so ritzy zip code, if they figured it out, because they are big, dumb companies. Oh, by the way, how many of you are flying home? Okay, if you didn't catch this piece of the news, so American Airlines grounded 50 flights in the last two days because the, uh, the pilot's iPads crashed. Uh, so same problem, you know, you just saw Dave dealing with. The answer to it, by the way, is paper. Um, <laughs> um so so American Airlines eliminated all the maps and the manuals. You know, you see pilots with a map bag. Well, they took that away from them, and they put all that stuff on the iPad. And iPads crashed. Pilots' iPads crashed. So they had to cancel 50 flights in the last two days, which, of course, dominoes all through the system. God knows what it costs them. And now here's the really good news for any of you that are flying American, uh, although I assume all the airlines, but um, is – in order to deal with this problem as quickly as they could they are letting each pilot reboot and reload all the software into his iPad which of course we know he's not doing that he's got his eight-year-old kid doing that (laughs) so you are flying home on a plane with a navigational system programmed by an eight-year-old in between playing minecraft and looking at porn That's. That's how you're getting home. Um, uh, congratulations. Uh, so, who, who is buying matters a lot. Who they are. All right? Where they are buying. Place. We're going to do a whole segment on place. So I'll just skip it. How they are buying. Process. We're going to do a whole segment on process. Urgency of purchase. Okay. Timing matters. So people automatically pay more when they have a sense of urgency about making the purchase. And then last, how or when they pay for the purchase. So you know the buy your furniture today and make no payments until the year 2040 uh, kind of advertising, right? That it works. So here's some price Tricks. One. Option or tiered. Now, I'm betting 75% of the people in the room could come up here and teach this. But at least half of them aren't doing it with everything they do. Again, we had super smart people in the room yesterday who weren't even doing this. And this is candidly, pretty basic. So there's hardly ever a reason to have a price and present a price without presenting at least an A or B version of it, a higher priced version of it, Because somewhere between 5 and 20% of the people will take the higher priced version, if it makes any sense at all, purely because of who they are, not because of anything else. So if you don't present the higher priced option, you leave that money behind. They were willing to give it to you, you just didn't ask for it. So how, so how many people bought the VIP thing here? Where, where are the VIPs? All right. Just so everybody can see you, because you learn more looking around at them than you do me. Everybody who bought a VIP package, stand up. All right. What percentage of the room is that? Who's good at math? What do you think? Eight point seven per, percent. You think? Okay. Good for you. Um, if we don't offer it, they don't buy it. Offer it, they buy it. Guess how much bigger the margin is in the VIP money than it is in the regular admission money. I believe it cost us a bag. Paper, if I'm not mistaken, and Miltier noted last year they had tissue paper and this year they don't have tissue paper. So uh, so we we cut the cost of that a little bit. I think everything else in the bag was probably given to us to give to you. All right? We don't offer it, they don't buy it. All right? So tiered pricing is really important. The entire alternative health industry who understands direct response revolves around either good and better or good better best. Here's a direct mail piece for what kind of glop is this? This is CoQ ten magic glop. So there's a great offer and there's a best offer. Here's a newsletter industry piece. Here's good deal, best deal. Five to twenty percent of the people will take the best deal. In this case, um, let's see what's the price differential here. Um, t- 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 um, the the price differential is um, from a seventy-two dollar purchase to a one hundred and ninety-eight dollar purchase. And the difference is six yeah, good for you. The difference is 126 dollars. And the difference is six additional issues of the newsletter. So let's be big. Let's call that 12 bucks. And four, one, two, three, four, special reports that are eight pages each. So let's call that another 12 dollars. Let's be generous.- 24 bucks. Okay, that's the spread. This is a client of mine um, who sells training and consulting to the dental profession. Here's the order form. Option one, option two, option three. Option one price is $1,799. That's the entry point. Option three If you take the best deal, the price is $15,681. Yes, people actually check off a box on an order form and pay $15,681. About 5% of them. So if you left it off, you wouldn't get it. If you do the math when you go home, not here please... But if you do the math of five percent of the people taking a fifteen thousand dollar option and divide it back into your total, look at what you do to your average purchase amount. Right. The very first time I saw this, I um I was at um, I was young and I was at an audience like this, and Zig was speaking. And it was a multi-level audience, group of Dexter Yeagers, Amway people, if that reference means anything to you. But the most important thing to understand is multi-level audience. So everybody in the room either had somebody under them, or hoped to have somebody under them, and had somebody with them who they hoped to sponsor. So Zig's close was, I'll abbreviate it that at the back of the room, which they did while he was on stage speaking and everybody was looking at him, there's three different color flags. They're, these are triangles like you used to see outside gas stations. Red, white, blue, red, white, blue. So there's three different colors of flags. There's a red flag, there's a blue flag, and there's a white flag. All right. White, by the way, the color of surrender. And Zig said, so If you're just sort of messing around with this thing, this is really more a hobby than it is a business for you. You're not very serious about it. You want to get in the white flag line, and you want this package of stuff, which does this and costs this. If you're pretty serious about it, and you're taking this business seriously, and you want to be successful then you want to get in the blue flag line and you need this package of stuff which does this that and the other thing and is priced at this. If you're taking the business seriously and you want to be a leader and you want to be seen as a leader and you are all about building an organization then you want to get in the red flag line and you need this package of stuff that does this that and the other thing and sells for this much. So there were about, I don't know, a thousand people in the room. There were about three in the white flag line. Um, and they pretty quickly hung their heads and moved over and got in the back of the blue line. And a fair number of the people in the blue line, as they realized their downline was looking at them, they moved over to the red line. So the longest line was the red flag. The shortest line was the white flag. Obviously the highest price was the red line. Now anybody that has in their head about Zig, this kind, gentle, paternal figure, (laughs) um, This whole thing is basically what Dave could describe to you as a card force. This whole thing Zig did was a magic trick in many respects, having to do with price, but having nothing to do with the damn deliverable. The whole force was done based on who you wanted to feel like to yourself and be seen to be to everybody else in the room. You almost didn't need to describe the stuff at all. If you don't do a premium price option, so I'm going to give you a very current and a very inside numerical example. I was just at a speaking engagement where I sold. Not super well. Um, and here's what's relevant. is So I had three price options. Let me find them. and $2,795. Here's what happens if I don't do the $2,795 offer. So here's the form. So here's what's important. Four cheapskates bought the cheap item. 27 bought the mid-priced item. Nine bought the 27 and and ninety. $500 item. Their nine purchases are roughly equivalent to 50% of all of the other purchases. I take home half the money if I don't do the high-priced option. If you are not building either A or B or A, B, and C, you are doing yourself an enormous disservice. I'm going to show you one other cool trick, but I want to tell you two examples that are worth seeing. So first of all, this is not new. How many of you have this book of mine? Yes? Many? Good. Okay. So this book, for those of you who don't have it, is about a turn-of-the-century doctor, or quack as you prefer, uh, who sold the first erectile dysfunction cure in America, which was transplant to men's testicles of goat glands. He was hugely successful. Good for you. Yeah, there you go. It's like, you're catching up. By tomorrow, man, we're going to be cooking. Um, So in the book on page 124, if you want to make a note and go back and see it, it describes Dr. Brinkley even discovered differential pricing. And began to tear price. It's another book. This is actually one of my favorite examples. A lot of people don't, you know, they cringe, but so this book, if you have it, friend of mine, if you don't know Sydney's past life story, um, she was ran one of the most infamous escort services in New York City many, many moons ago. And if you have the book for your reference, as a page number here, darn it, the page number's not there. Sorry, I can't help you, but sales secret number nine, if you want to find it in a book. So, Sydney describes how calls would come in from their advertising to order a woman, like you order pizza, if you don't know how this business works. Um, and she noticed that. Almost 20% of the callers were ending the call with a question of, if I pay more, can you send me somebody prettier? Or if I pay more, can you send me somebody younger? 20% asking on their own. Guess what she did? Created a second company to flip them over to at double the price so they could have what they wanted same staff double the price answering the question the right way. You will not always be so fortunate as to have everybody ask but somewhere between 5 and 20 percent will say yes if you offer the higher price option. It's a very simple trick. Next trick. I work with, with some charities but this applies to businesses too. Okay? And it is, the charity version is donation versus donation for a specific purpose. It applies to businesses too. But in the charity world, where I'm going to show you two examples, you almost always raise the responsiveness to a donation request, and the average donation when you menu things that people are giving specific donations for. So you've all seen a normal donation card. And I don't even have one here to show you. But you've all seen a normal donation card. So at the end of whatever the charity pitch is, Wounded Warriors or Dying Whales or... Wounded Warrior Whales, whatever, whatever it is, the thing has $25, $50, $100, $150, right? You've all seen it, right? Here's a very different variation. So this is a, a racehorse retirement uh, charity that I do some pro bono work for. So here's how you can help. So here's what $30 buys. Here's what $50 buys, which is a blanket. Or you can give $75 so they have shoes. You can uh, give 100 bucks, so they get chiropractic care. You can give $250 for emergency transportation, etc., etc., etc. And then the donation card looks like this. Right? And it has the list of all of the things that you can give money specifically to do. There's also very important language. So this language above the, this list, the cheap list, which ranges from $30 to $2,500, is every gift makes a difference to that horse. This language says, make a larger impact. And this is the higher price stuff. So what this one up here says is, if you're cheap, And you'll only do a little, you schmuck. Pick one of these. (laughs) This says, if you're not cheap, and you're a really good person, and you want at least a seat close to the air conditioning in hell, or you want, (laughs) you know, a nice cottage in heaven, uh, pick one of these. And seriously, this language is about who you are make a larger impact. Person says, that's me. Therefore, I'll pick one of these. This strategy versus the 25, 50, 75, 100, or 150, split tested, same list, same donors, same everything. How much more money does this bring in versus the other? Anybody want to guess? Uh, What? Three? Ten? Ten. I got ten, I got ten. Anybody want to go higher? Twenty? Anybody want to go higher? Thirty-five times. Thirty-five times the money. If you're on Happy Trails list, and I strongly recommend you donate some money and get on the list just to get the newsletter, because nobody does a better job with newsletters that bring in money. Than Annette Fisher, the Happy Trails newsletter. So here's here's a list of stuff you can give money to, and here's one that's really interesting. This is a, this is an ask we use a lot, gas cards to help cover the transportation expenses of the rescue and the hauling of several of the horses to equine hospitals. Now, why a gas card instead of a check or just? Fill out the phone, put your credit card on it. So here's one of the things I don't know. I don't know why this works. Somebody at last night's Q&A asked a question about why, and I said, I don't know and I don't care. I just know we have a monetizable fact. I'm really not interested in why it works. I don't know why it works. But I do know that when we use it, we get a crap load of gas cards in the mail from people who never send money. I don't know why that is, but I know that it works. So this is a typical story ask. So this is a story about uh, Kachina, the little miniature horse who has terrible feet. Mm -hmm. And the end of the story is to help offset the cost of her special hoof extensions, to help her walk, tax deductible donations can be earmarked for Kachina. Guess what happens whenever we do out of those stories? In comes a bunch of donations earmarked for Kachina. The purpose. So here's like the best purpose ad I've seen in a while. I have... Collector cars, so I'm like with them. Six car garage, $4.6 million. Parentheses includes nice house and a pool. (laughs) All right, last price trick show them a ladder. People are really governed by childhood their childhood conditioning has huge impact on them their entire lives and one of the things we do to kids that in many ways is probably not all that helpful <laughs> is we show them ladders baseball this league, this league, this league, this league, this league, Boy Scouts, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So people respond to ladders. Now you've all seen ours. You should know that all smart info marketers do one just like ours. This is uh, uh, my multi-year titanium member, Nelson Searcy's ladder. He sells business and marketing training and coaching to pastors. Shocked, by the way, they're in business. So here's the ladder that they climb, obviously in ascending price. In any business, if you will show them a ladder, if you're an American Express card holder, they show you a ladder, green, gold, platinum, I have been an American Express card holder for a while, they show you a ladder. People are preconditioned. They think they're supposed to be a ladder. They're actually looking for the ladder. What's next? What's next? What's next? They want to know. People respond to clarity. They want to be told where to start and what to do and what to do next. And they're hardwired to be goal-seeking mechanisms. That's why golf works. Golf is the dumbest thing ever. It is, as the guy said, a good walk spoiled. It's only purpose. So I always do this as a service for women. There's all sorts of things you don't know about guys, so this is one of them. Golf was invented as a lie you will accept for men to get out of the house. See, because if he comes and he says, I'm going to go hang out at the strip club and watch the game with the guys, most wives say no you aren't. If he comes and says, I'm going to take this big heavy bag of sticks and I'm going to go walk for 20 miles and I'm going to sweat like a pig and I'm going to fail and I'm going to be frustrated and angry and have a miserable time with the three guys this Saturday she says, have at it. Uh, (laughs) So that's why golf was invented. All right? It's the way to get out of the house, but it's really a good walk spoiled. Why do people do it? Because they are seeking some version of this. A huge part of everybody's adult life and all their spending. And what they are willing to spend is in pursuit of the bowling trophy. Or some version thereof. It was ingrained in us as kids, and nobody ever gets over it. A 62-year-old is still bringing home something he wants stuck up on the refrigerator with a magnet and applauded. And that makes price elastic when you attach what you do to status. Okay, last minute. Last thing you need to know about price is it's completely irrational If price was rational, first of all, everybody would price shop everything on the internet. Everybody now knows how to do it. Take your phone, zap the little code... Up comes five places you can get it at five prices. And you can go right to Amazon and get it cheaper than it's on the shelf at Williams-Sonoma. And it'll be at your door tomorrow. And they'll actually send you eight versions of it. And you can try them all and send seven of them back. Everybody knows it. Right? However, in the age 25 to 35 bracket, only 15% of the people are doing it. Age 65, where we're still honest, only 1% of the people are doing it. If price was rational, everything would be bid in B2B. Fortune 1000 survey last year, under $5,000, only 2% of the purchases are put up for bid. 100,000 to 250, only 8% of the purchases are put up for bid. 1 million to 5 million, only 18% are put up for bid. I have a Keurig coffee maker at home. It's the... One of, it's the one of the few high-tech things I own that Carla got from me. And there's a curry up in my hotel suite. If Price was rational, who would own a curry? It's $512 a pound for coffee. (laughs) But speaking of that, a favorite of mine, and then I'm done, is if you haven't seen this, this is one of my all-time favorite examples of Price. It's in the Price Strategy book, by the way. So this is, uh, and you can one of the place, you can see it online. So if you will just when you leave, if you have a spare moment, if you want to see people selling this stuff, just Google Civet Coffee. It's C-I-V-E-T Civet Coffee. Civet Coffee sells well. At the time we did the price book, price has probably gone up. It was selling for eighty-five dollars for a four-ounce bag. You could save money by buying a pound for three hundred and twenty dollars. Civet coffee is coffee made with cat poop. No, no, no. I'm telling you, it's coffee made with cat poop. They feed the coffee beans to the cats. The cats digest them, and then they poop them, and they gather that up, and they make this coffee out of it that they are selling for $320 a pound. And people are buying it. If price was rational, or if people were rational... When Jason Mars first sent this to me, I immediately marched upstairs and kicked the dog. <laughs> all right, we're done. I think you're on a break. Thank you very much. I'll see you for the next segment. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.